Corinthians chapter 11 today. As Tim mentioned earlier, today we will partake of the Lord's uh, Supper together, and the passage that we uh, most frequently turn to in observing the Lord's Supper is found here in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'd like to spend a bit more time uh, than usual today in this text to consider the larger context of what we normally read. And in doing so, my prayer is that the Spirit will use this text to make your love for Christ and His church grow. Now Paul wrote what he did in chapter 11 because the Corinthian church was sinning greatly when they ate the Lord's Supper. And Paul writes to correct them, and in doing so, teaches us. Uh, there are a number of ways that we benefit from this passage here in 1 Corinthians 11. And first, Christ wants you to learn from the communion problems in the Corinthian church. Paul says in verse 17, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. So, it's kind of humbling. Paul says it basically, um, it, it's not good when you come together as a church. Wow, that is a pretty strong statement, pretty sobering statement. It's a statement that really ought to cause us to sit up and to pay attention. If it was possible then, it's possible today. Uh, let, let me say, Though, as we come to this text, I don't come to this text and study the larger context because I see a glaring problem in your lives in this area, but it's an opportunity for us to understand the significance of what's being taught and how our lives ought to grow in both our love for Christ and our love for His church. Uh, we learn from the problems that they had. So when the church comes together, God, in fact, wants the church to be edified, to be built up and to be strengthened. Um, li listen to what it was like for the early church right after Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we read this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor or grace with all of the people. And, and in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, we read this, From him, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. Uh, the latter half of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12 says this, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. So God's plan is for it to be a good thing when the church gathers together. Each member of the body has a responsibility to do his or her part in building up other members in the body. But that wasn't happening there in Corinth as it should have. Paul basically told them, Your meetings do more harm than good. So, what, what was their problem? Well, verse 18 
says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Um, in verse 19, Paul states that some differences among people do serve a good purpose. Some divisions show who is genuine and who is not. But Paul goes on to show that the Corinthian church was also experiencing harmful divisions. In fact, for the most part, if there are divisions or schisms, it's not a good thing because divisions harm the body. So where do these divisions come from? Well, one major cause of division is people thinking of themselves first and foremost. A person who thinks of self first rather than others first will cause divisions. And so selfishness harms the body. Verses 20 through 22 say, say this, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So here in Corinth... They thought they were eating the Lord's Supper, but Paul says, you're, you're really not. You, you eat and drink, you're happy with your own little group, but you're not thinking of all of the others. You miss an important point of the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave himself for you, plural, and you should give yourself to one another, to the others. But instead, here, you flaunt your wealth, in front of the poor, you elevate yourself and your desires over other people. Those of you who are wealthy are feasting while the poor are working, and you make, you're making no effort to wait on them or to give to them. So you're, you're getting together with your own select group of people, but you're not remembering the Lord when you get together. You, you are only satisfying your own selfish desires. So Paul says, I cannot and will not commend you for this offense. So are, are we ever guilty of this? Um, I would say our, our circumstances around the Lord's Supper are a bit different. We have an established time for communion, as Tim mentioned earlier, the first Sunday of every month. And, and, and yet we don't typically have a full meal when we do that. But notice here that even Paul tells them to fill their bellies at home and then come together for the Lord's Supper. So what was their problem? There, there were divisions basically because of people being self-centered. They thought only of themselves and what they wanted, what was best for them, and no thought for all of the others. They were not preferring others. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we ever self-centered? Um, one, one thing I would invite you to ask yourself is this. Do, do you stay in a circle of friends that is most comfortable to you? Or do you make an effort to get to know and serve others outside of your own comfort zone? 
And, and here's a second question to help you discern whether or not you're self-centered. Do you come to church waiting for others to love you, or do you come to church ready to take the initiative in loving others? Um, so now here, here is why this is important. The Lord's Supper is a time we affectionately call to mind. We remember how the body and the blood of Christ were given for us. Christ suffered and died in our place. Christ loved us. Christ served us to meet our greatest need. And I think a major point of this passage is this. If Christ gave himself for us, and if he is alive in us, then his life in us will produce in us an initiative to love and serve other people. And when we do that, we are really serving and loving Christ himself. Um, stated negatively, it's an offense to Christ if we partake of the Lord's Supper, Supper, but all the while live in selfish ways towards other people. It, it offends Christ if we only stay in a circle of friends that we are most comfortable with. It offends Christ if we get upset uh, because other people don't love us when all the while we are not taking the initiative to love others. The Lord's Supper teaches us how God has loved us in Christ. And his love in us produces a love for Christ. And when we are learning to love Christ, we are learning to love the members of his body, the church. So, in, in light of learning from the communion problems in the Corinthian church, number two... Christ wants you to prepare for communion in the church. How, how do we do that? Let me mention three important ways to prepare for communion. We find them in verses 27 through 34. Listen as I read, and then I'll highlight those three things. Verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord, let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world." So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So there are three things, um, at, at least three things Christ wants us to do to prepare for communion. Number one... Uh, verses 27 and 28 teach us to examine, examine yourself. So, examine yourself so that you don't partake in an unworthy manner. It's, this text is not saying that we must be worthy to receive the Lord's Supper. Eating the Lord's Supper is not, 
it is in fact a reminder that we are sinners saved by God's marvelous grace. We have all fallen short. We're counted righteous by faith, not work. So in one sense, none of us are worthy. But that's not what Paul was saying here. Here Paul says, don't partake in an unworthy manner. And, and you do that if you partake without recognizing others in the body of Christ. A key area of sanctification that the Spirit wants to produce in all of us is this, is to learn to love others as God has loved us in Christ. And, and if we resist that, and if we uh, stubbornly live in self-centered and selfish ways, then we will be guilty of partaking in the Lord's table in an unworthy way. And this offends Christ. So much so that we're told in verse 30 that some people experience discipline from the Lord through physical sickness and, and even death because of their unresponsiveness to the Lord's loving discipline. Now, let me quickly caution you that don't, don't make the error of equating all sickness with the Lord's discipline for sin. The, the Pharisees were guilty of this with a man born blind in John 10. Uh, Job's friends were guilty of this as well. The, the point is this. The Lord's Supper gives us the most focused time of thinking about how Christ was given for us. Christ loved us. Christ served us. We have eternal life because Christ died for us. We have hope because of the life of Christ in us. And if his life is in us, we will be learning to love and serve others for the sake of Christ. We won't do that perfectly until... We get to glory. We, we, will, we will not love perfectly, but there ought to be a desire in our heart and a willingness to change and grow so that we can learn to love more and more the way that God has loved us in Christ. And so we must examine ourselves honest, honestly and with humility, asking ourselves this question, am I learning to love others in this body as God loves me. Again, none of us are perfect, um, but we should be learning. Um, you're striving to grow in love. And if that's true of, then you, true of you, then you can partake of the Lord's table in a worthy manner. There, there's a second related way to prepare for communion in this church. It's recognize the body. So don't, don't neglect others in this church. I think there is an intended play on words in verses 27 and 29. In verse 27, we're told that partaking of communion in an unworthy manner makes us guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And this language flows right out of verse 23 through 26, where we learn how the bread represents the body of the Lord and the cup represents the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. In verse 29, we're told that anyone who eats and drinks 
without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul doesn't say without recognizing the body and the blood of the Lord. Paul just says if we eat and drink without recognizing the body, then we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. And here I think the body that he's speaking of is the church body, which is Christ's body. And there are two reasons why I think verse 29 speaks of the church body. In, in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, 17-34, Paul is using the Lord's table to correct problems in the church, which we've already talked about. Paul's line of argument in verse 17 through 22, and then in verses 27 through 34, support the fact that the problem of being self-centered would be corrected if we understood the significance of Christ being given for us properly. In addition, back in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 16 and 17, verse 16 begins by saying the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And here, both the body and the blood of Jesus are spoken of. But then, verse 17 of chapter 10 mentions only the bread or the loaf. And I quote, because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So verse 17 is clearly speaking of the church as one body. Uh, we who are many, speaking of each of the members of the church family, eat from one loaf, which is a reference to Christ, and that makes the many of us one body. The point is this, communion, partaking of communion is an exercise not only of affectionately calling to mind what we've been given in Jesus Christ, but communion is also an exercise of recognizing that if we belong to Jesus Christ, we also belong to one another. And therefore, if we ignore one another or refuse to love and serve one another, we are sinning against Christ. Our relationships with one another become an expression of what we really think and know of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we partake of communion, we cannot be neglecting to love and serve the church body. And so, with that in mind, a third way to prepare for communion in the church is to wait for each other. Um, don't, don't think of only yourself. Wait for one another. Verses 33 through 34 state, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So, in other words, fill your bellies at home, but when you come together as a church, eat the Lord's Supper in a way that shows consideration for the rest of the body, which means that we will wait for each other. Um, communion is not just for individuals. 
That's why we don't partake of communion just as the Schrock family when we're on vacation or as the Smith family when they go up north or the Jones family if they go camping. We partake of communion when we come together as a local church. So we're learning uh, to think not only of ourselves but also of others. And one expression of this in our context happens when we partake of the elements together. Uh, when we receive the bread and a cup, we wait until all of the members of this church family have the bread or the cup, and then we eat and drink together. We do that intentionally with this in mind. It's a way of recognizing the body and waiting for each other or thinking of others. It's a way of preferring others. Now, another expression of this in our context happens when we give to the Benevolent Fund. Um, and we don't always do a great job of mentioning it on this first Sunday of the month, but it's our intention uh, to spotlight the Benevolent Fund on the first Sunday of the month. And you might ask, well, what is the Benevolent Fund? The Benevolent Fund is something that uh, that you give to on your own free will, and it's monies that are separate from the general fund of the church. Um, it, whatever is given to the benevolent fund is not used for other ministries. It doesn't keep the lights on. It doesn't uh, pay for all of the insurances and all of those things. The benevolent fund is set aside for the deacon's to manage and to steward so that when they learn of a need within the body or within the community, they have resources to respond to that need and to give. And so on the first Sunday of the month when we do the Lord's table, one of the, one of the ways that we remember one another and we prefer one another, we love and serve one another, we remind you that you can give to the Benevolent Fund if you so choose. And all of those monies then would be used um, to meet the needs of others as the deacons or elders learned of needs were able to respond and, and to help. That's an expression of loving and serving one another, and you have opportunity to be a part of that. Uh, so if when you put your giving in the box there on the round table in the back, if nothing is marked on it, it goes just to the general fund. If you want to give to the benevolent fund, just put on the check memo, benevolent or B, and our treasurer will look for that and put those monies into, in, into the benevolent fund. It's kind of fun to just watch um, as that fund from time to time grows. And uh, we often talk amongst the leadership that when that fund is growing, we know that the Lord is preparing us to meet the need somewhere. And we never know where that's gonna go or, or what need it's gonna meet, but the Lord knows. And when you give to the Benevolent Fund, it's a way of expressing your concern for the, the body. So feel free to give to the Benevolent Fund uh, as the Spirit would lead you to do that. 
So we prepare for communion when we examine ourselves, when we recognize the church body. We don't come here and function just as an individual. It's just not me and God. We are part of the body. We're part of the body of Christ. And so we serve one another. We love one another. We wait for one another. Now, with all of that said, there's a third thing. Christ wants you to observe his pattern for communion. And we're going to partake of communion together at this time. I'm going to ask the elders to come. Those who are going to help serve to come on up to prepare, if you would, for uh, our time to, together in partaking of the Lord's table. Um, but a couple of things that let's just kind of work through this together in light of this text. Uh, first of all, um, the opportunity for all of us, and it's important for you to examine yourself. And so let me ask you just a, a couple of questions. And I think as we, as we think about partaking of the Lord's table together, the first question is most important. Are you a born-again Christian? Are you, has God given you life in Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Uh, the Scriptures alone teach us that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and, this, and for this God alone gets the glory. So as we examine ourselves, the first question really is, are we, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Secondly, are you learning to love other members of this body as God loves you in Christ? Are, are you making efforts to get to know and serve others in the church body? Um, are you coming to church willing to take the initiative in loving and serving other members? I'm not saying that's always easy. Uh, we, we do a really good job of loving ourselves. And I think Christ understood that. And when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. When he talked about loving your neighbor as yourself, it, he understood that uh, what, what he's really calling us to, to, to do is that with the same interest and desire and attention that we tend to give to ourselves, learn to give it to others. So we, we love ourselves pretty naturally. Um, even if we say, I don't love myself, it's because we want to be something more than what we think we already are. So it's kind of a, a bizarre way to really think about it. But the Spirit of God, when we understand God's love for us, demonstrated in the gift of Jesus, um, that life that we have in Jesus produces in us a willingness, a desire to love one another. So are you willing to work at learning to love one another, trusting the Spirit of God to empower you to take an interest in others, to walk up to someone and say, how was your week? How can I pray for you? Are there ways I can serve you? Um, that's an important step to take for us to love one another, care for one another, recognize one another. And if you can answer yes to these questions, I would say then you are ready to partake 
of communion. Um, if you cannot say yes, um, then I would say talk to Christ about that even right now. And as the Spirit brings conviction of, on your heart, repent of that sin and, and run to Christ who's ready to, to forgive, ready to help. And as He has demonstrated His love for us, He wants to produce in us a love for one another. Now, with that in mind, let's come to verses 23 and 24. We're going to do our communion today just a bit different, so I'm going to walk through some of the things that we often do um, just before we partake of the Lord's table, but I'm going to kind of walk through verse 23 and 24. We'll pray, we'll receive the elements, and then we'll, I'll lead us in partaking of them together. But in verse 23 and 24... We read this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the bread represents the body of Christ given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Affectionately calling to mind Christ given for you. Um, I, I can envision Christ holding out the bread and saying, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus was our substitute who atoned perfectly and completely for our sin, once and for all. He was, is the spotless Lamb of God. So today, because Jesus gave himself for us, we have spiritual life. We have peace with God. No longer under judgment. No longer condemned. Forgiven. Justified. Declared righteous. Set, sanctified. Set apart to belong to God. Reconciled. To God at peace with God, set free from the power of sin and death, and filled with the hope of glory. The text says, Do this in remembrance of me. So break, break the bread together, and when you do, give thanks, remembering in fresh ways what Jesus gave to you. And we'll do that in a moment. But verse 25 and 26 say, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup represents the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. So affectionately call to mind Christ given for you. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The cup is symbolic, not of the blood, but of the new covenant. Here, Jesus speaks of his blood that was shed, that ratified a new covenant between God and his people. Uh, the old covenant sacrifices of bulls and goats were insufficient to forgive sin, but they were intended to point to the coming of Jesus who would shed his blood where 
there would be real forgiveness of sin. And because of that, we have eternal life. So join me as we pray, and then I'll invite you forward to receive the cup and the bread. You'll go back to your seats, and then I'll lead us in partaking together. Let's pray together.